Thank you, Timothy. I was going to say, when I got up here, based on the number of people in the auditorium, it's obvious that word leaked out that I was preaching today. But I won't say that. We're getting tired of that kind of humor, aren't we? Um, I do want to say thank you to Timothy for that reading. Um, one of the things that just hit me just while he was reading it, um, I, I love the little line that says, it is Christ Jesus who died more than that who was raised to life. And that's kind of the story, isn't it? And so I am not uh, the preacher here. In fact, I am a rank amateur. My name is Tim Partlow, and I'm one of the elders that serves this congregation. And, uh, and so just wanted to let you know that, those of you who are viewing away from this place, uh, that, um, you know, if, if you really enjoy what I say today, today, then that represents our congregation well. But if you don't, come back next week. We'll have a real preacher here. And so uh, we would love to welcome you here next week or online as we live stream our services now um, every week. And so please do come back and join us. The message that I have for you today is a real simple message. Um, it's not going to be that complex. It's not going to be that earth shattering. Uh, but something that we used to say in business, there is common sense, or in this case we might say common knowledge, but that doesn't mean that it's common practice. And so I'll be talking about something today that we know, won't be any big surprises there, but do we always remember it and do we always put it into practice? And so that'll be um, our challenge as we think through this today. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you three stories. And then from those stories, I'm going to draw out a, a couple of, of points. And the first story is going to come from Genesis chapters 14 and 15. And this is going to be a story about a man named Abram. Now, most of us know him as Abraham, but he's not Abraham yet. God has not changed his name, and so he is still Abram. And if you remember, God told him uh, to, to go to a new country that was going to be his own. And, and he went there with some family, including a nephew, Lot. And they did very well. And, and in fact, they did so well that their herds were starting to um, uh, bump into each other and their herdsmen were not very happy with each other. And so they decided they needed to separate. And, uh, and, and Abram, being the kind of man he is, said, Lot, you choose. The next thing should have been Lot saying, oh, no, no. You know, you, you are the older, you are the wiser, you make the choice. But instead, Lot said, I like that land. And he went over and settled in that land, which happened to be near the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so he settled there. And, and over time, he moved into the city. And he was living in Sodom. And so in chapter 14, there's an interesting uh, story that takes place. Uh, the Bible goes through and lists these different kings. And so there were these four kings that, that joined together to go against these five kings. And it's kind of funny, the Bible says, in summary, after giving you the names and the city locations, says it was four kings against five. But there was an upset. The four kings won. They beat the five kings. And, and the, the final thing they did is they went into Sodom and they captured Lot and probably some other people and they took Lot and a lot of his possessions and, and they took them as hostage and they took that as their prize for winning this battle. It's a word kept to Abraham, to Abram, that his nephew had been captured, 
and was now a prisoner of war. And so Abram uh, gathered 318 of his fighting men and pursued them. And so we're about to have another upset because Abram and his men beat the four kings and captures, recaptures, takes back Lot and all of Lot's possessions and, uh, and, and heads back toward the city. And, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah are very gracious. But then we get this other little strange story in there about a man named Melchizedek. Melchizedek meets Abram and gives him a blessing from the Lord. And so Abram has done well. He has done well because God was with him. And it's very obvious as Melchizedek meets him and blesses him that God was with Abram. But then we get to chapter 15. And chapter 15 begins with these words. After this. Now that's important because there is a connection here. After this, what, after what? Abram being successful, going up against four kings and defeating them, and bringing back Lot unharmed, as well as all of his possessions. And so Abram was very successful. Abram had done well. But after this, God came to Abram in a vision, and he said, do not be afraid. Now, why would God come to Abram and say, do not be afraid? Well, because Abram was afraid. He was probably afraid that these kings might rejoin and come and attack him. But after this success, after God being with him, we find out that Abram was afraid. Now God goes on to talk to him. And, and in their discussion, Abram's like, you know, I, I, I'm childless. A servant of mine is going to inherit everything that I have. And God says, no, 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 no. No, no, I told you. I told you you're going to have a son. Now I want you to go outside, and I want you to take a look up at the stars, and I want you to count them. Your offspring, the children that come through you, are going to be like the stars in the sky. Go ahead and count them. Then Scripture says, Abram believed the Lord, and he, God, credited to him as righteousness. And this becomes the thesis of, of Paul's writings in Romans and Galatians. Let's now go to 1 Kings and look at chapters 18 and 19. And we're going to look at a man by the name of Elijah. Elijah is a great prophet of the Lord. Now, the, the, the timing here is uh, Ahab is a wicked king over Israel. Even more wicked is his wife Jezebel. And uh, there has been about three years of famine. And so, uh, Elijah is told by God to meet with King Ahab. And so, he sends word to Ahab. And, and Ahab meets him and says, Elijah, you troubler of the people. And and Elijah says, it's not me. You're the one that's causing trouble. And he says, look, I'm going to meet with you. Call all of Israel, and I want you to bring all your prophets of Baal, and let's meet at Mount Carmel, and they're going to have a great competition. 
And so they, they gather, and, and you know, it's not all of Israel, but it's probably the leaders from key towns and villages, districts, regions. They all gather. They come to Mount Carmel to represent Israel. And, and they, they come, and, uh, and, and uh, Ahab brings 450 prophets of Baal. Also, he has 400 prophets of Asherah, Jezebel's favorite goddess. And so there's 850 prophets against Elijah. And Elijah proposes this simple competition. He says, Let, let's take a couple of bulls, let's build a couple of sacrifices, and, uh, and then we'll call on our God to set fire to those sacrifices. How's that sound? You, there's more of you, why don't you guys go first? And so they, they build an altar, and they, they slaughter the bull, and they put it with the wood, and they put the bull up there. And then they start calling on Baal to set this sacrifice on fire. And so they, they go from morning until midday, and, and nothing's happening. And so um, Elijah decides to help, and he says, um, you know, maybe, maybe Baal's deep in thought. Uh, maybe he's busy. Maybe he's somewhere traveling. Hey, maybe he's asleep. And they start yelling louder and louder. And then as is what they do in, in that time, they, would, they cut themselves so that their own blood might draw their God to, to set fire to this sacrifice. And, and by midday, nothing has happened. And so now it's Elijah's turn. And Elijah turns to the people of Israel and he says, how long are you going to waver? Who are you going to serve? Are you going to serve God or Baal? And they just kind of looked at him. They just stood there quietly. And so he gets some help, and they, they, they built an altar collecting 12 stones, one stone for each of the original tribes of Israel. And so they built the altar, and they, they slaughter the bull, they put wood, and, and then Elijah has a trench built around. And it's a time of famine, but there is a source of water nearby. Water is very, very precious right now. And he says, take these four jars and go fill them with water. And they brought them back, and he says, pour them on the altar. So they pour it so the, 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 the bowl gets good and wet and the wood gets good and wet. He says, go do it again. And then he says, go do it again. So 12 big jars of water are poured, and so now everything is soaked, and the trench is full of water. And then Elijah prays to the Lord, and when he prays, fire comes from heaven and consumes the bull, the wood, the altar, and all the water that was in the trench. And then the Israelites get excited, and Elijah says, grab those prophets, and they take them out, and they kill all of these false prophets that were serving Baal. And then there's another interesting story. The, the, the famine has been going on for three years, and, and so Elijah continues his prayer to God, and he sends his servant. He says, go take a look and tell me what you see when you look over, over the sea. And so he went over and he came back and he said nothing. He said, well, go look again. And he comes back and he says nothing. He says, go look again. And on the seventh time... He comes back and says, there's a cloud. It's about the size of a man's fist. Listen to the faith of Elijah. Elijah says, you better go tell Ahab that a flood's a coming. A cloud the size of a fist. And Elijah says there's going to be a flood. And there was, because 
The clouds then gathered and the storm came and the famine ended as it was, as it was raining. And there's a great uh, visual of, uh, of, of Elijah tucking up his robe and actually outrunning Ahab's chariot as he goes down the mountainside. And so Ahab goes home and he tells all that's happened to Jezebel. And uh, that probably would have been an interesting conversation to listen to. But Jezebel's takeaway was to send a message to Elijah that said, May the gods deal with me ever so severely if by tomorrow you're not like those prophets that you killed. And this great man of faith was afraid and he ran away. And he ran into the wilderness where he laid down and said, I'm done, just end my life. I can't do this anymore. And an angel comes and taps him on the shoulder. And, and there's some bread that's been cooked over some warm coals. And there's some water and says, eat and drink. And so he eats and drinks. And then he lays back down again. And then the angel taps him again. And says, You're going to need more. Eat and drink. And so he eats and drinks. And then he, he goes for 40 days and 40 nights until he comes to the mountain of God. And there's a cave. And he goes in and sleeps. And when he wakes up, God asks him a question. What are you doing here, Elijah? And remember, Elijah wants to see who God is and wants to see where this voice is coming from. And, and there's a great wind, but he wasn't in the wind. And there was an earthquake, and God was not in the earthquake. And there was a fire, and God was not in the fire. But then there was a still, quiet voice that said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Let's go to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14 has um, the world famous story of the feeding of the 5,000. And so remember, Jesus has been teaching, preaching, talking to these people, a, a crowd of 5,000 men and others have gathered. And Jesus says to his disciples, um, let's feed them. And they go, with what? You know, take a year's wages to feed this many people. And Jesus said, no, go feed them. And somebody says, well, you know, here's, here's a boy with a couple of some loaves and some fish. And, and so Jesus blesses that and breaks that. And they group seat the people, um, socially distanced, family groups, six feet away from other. And, and after they're done eating, this is, this is significant. It says that they collected 12 baskets of leftovers. Okay, what does that mean? What that means is that one of those baskets of leftovers was carried by Peter. He had more food in his one basket left over than they had started with to feed the 5,000. And they had 12 of those baskets. Each disciple carried a full basket of leftovers back. And so Jesus tells his disciples, you guys go on and start across the lake. I'll join you later. Jesus is the one who dismisses the crowd. And then he goes up onto the mountainside to pray. The disciples are trying to cross the lake and they run into a storm and they're having trouble making headway. And then you remember that Jesus walks out to them. But they're afraid. They think it might be a ghost. And, and Jesus tells them, it, it, take comfort, it is I, don't be afraid. And so Peter says, well, if it is you, 
tell me to come out onto the water. And Jesus says, come. And so scripture says that Peter stepped down out of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. Pause there for just a second, okay? We don't talk about this a lot. Peter walked on the water toward Jesus. Peter walked on water. It wasn't just Jesus. Peter walked on water. But then it, it says that he saw the wind. Now, you can't see the wind, but he saw what the wind was doing. Maybe he got hit in the face with some spray. And more than likely, what he did is he took his eyes off of Jesus onto his surrounding circumstances. He saw the stuff that he was in, and he became afraid, and he started to sink. And he said, Lord, save me. And Jesus does come to him and reaches out his hand and, and, and pulls him, and pulls him up and takes him to the boat. So, what do the three men in these stories have in common? First, God accomplished a great task through them. I mean, think about what, what had happened. Abram defeated an army, was able to rescue his nephew and all their possessions. Um, Elijah defeated the prophets of Baal, had them killed, prayed for the famine to be over, and it was over. Uh, Peter was a part of the feeding of 5,000, carrying that basket of leftovers. And then Peter walked on water. God accomplished great things for each of them. And then they all became afraid. All three of them became afraid after seeing these great things that God had done. But the third thing that is very important is that God pursued them. God did not leave them in their fear. He came to Abram. He came to Elijah. Jesus pulled Peter out and returned him to the boat. And so two key questions that I have for you. Um, have you ever seen God at work? A few months ago, I did a communion devotional when we first started doing a recorded service. And in that communion devotional, I told you uh, a little bit about the story of the adoption of, of Thaddeus. And I don't know if you, you remember that. I've told the story a couple of different places. But, but on the plane to the Ukraine, Angie and I were like, how are we going to know which boy we should adopt? And I said, wouldn't it be great if they just had a halo over their head so we could know? And after we met Thaddeus, the first time we took him outside onto a little playground to play, I looked over and he is standing in front of a yellow circle. And I have a picture that I took of Thaddeus with his halo. And, and there are all kinds of other stories regarding that adoption that just clearly tell us that God was involved, that God was in control, that, that this is what God wanted us to do and who God wanted us to adopt. 
It was very clear. And, and I told you at the time that that was important for Angie and I to understand because it isn't always easy. And sometimes when there's a struggle and when there's disappointment, we remember the halo. And remember, we remember the things that God did. And so I told you at that time to think about your own stories, your Ebenezers, as they're called in the Bible, the, the monuments that you build to remember God and to tell your children and your children's children. Well, I didn't tell you the whole story. The second question, have you ever been afraid? I don't think I've probably ever told anybody this part of the story, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story. Uh, I, I came the closest I ever have to having a full-on, full-fledged panic attack just shortly thereafter. It was time for me to leave the Ukraine. I had to come back, and I had to go back to work. We had four children at home that kind of needed a parental unit. And I was going to leave the Ukraine, and I was going to leave uh, Angie and my newly adopted son, Thaddeus, and I just about couldn't do it. I just about lost it. I mean, it was a, like I said, as close to a full-on panic attack as I've ever had. I had become afraid. I had seen God do all of these things, and now I wasn't going to be there in control, and I was afraid. So have you ever seen God at work? And then have you ever been afraid? The good news is that we are in really good company. We're in the company of Abram, of Elijah, and we are in the company of Peter. And so what are some key takeaways that I would like you to think about today? Uh, the first one is that God is not trying to catch us doing something wrong. We have this Santa Claus theology of God, you know, that he's making a list and checking it twice and going to find out who's naughty or nice. And so we, we superimpose that onto God and think he's just trying to catch me doing something wrong. Now, in each of those stories, God, there was a little rebuke. You know, Abram said, you know, a servant's going to be my heir. And God said, no, 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 no. I already told you it's going to be your son. Listen to me. Elijah, what are you doing here? I'm the only one who still serves you. Elijah, I've got 7,000 in Jerusalem that have never bowed a knee to Baal. Go back to work. Jesus gets onto the boat and he says, Oh, oh you of little faith. And, and I think he was talking to Peter, but I think he was talking to all 12 of the disciples who had just seen the feeding of the 5,000, who had just seen him walk across the water and they're in this boat afraid. What are you afraid of? But he wasn't trying to catch them at a weak spot. Ah, I knew you couldn't do it. He wasn't, that wasn't his purpose. His purpose in all of those was to come and to encourage. He encouraged Abraham, he encouraged Elijah, and, and Peter was encouraged by his experience with Jesus. God is pursuing us. He came to Abram. He came to Elijah. He came and he pulled Peter out of the water as he was. 
Scripture tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Romans tells us that while we were still his enemy, he died for us. So it wasn't because we were calling, we were crying, we were pleading. It was because he loved us and because he was pursuing us that Jesus came in the world, came into the world and died in our place but did not stay dead, he rose again. And the third thing that's important is that God entrusts us with his work. God could have just pulled Lot out of their clutches and returned him to the city, but he had Abram go and do it. He trusted Abram to go do that work. Um, Elijah did great things for God, uh, but you know, He still had more work to do. And in fact, you might argue that the greatest work that Elijah did was training Elisha to take his place. And that was yet to come. When God told him, I've got 7,000 in heaven bowed, now come on, get up. i got work for you to do. One of the first things that happened was that he came across Elisha and called him to be his disciple and to train under him to take. Peter, I mean, we can go on and on about the mistakes that Peter made and the issues that he had. But Peter delivers a sermon on the day of Pentecost. Peter is the first one to convert a Gentile. Peter is a pillar in the early church. God entrusts us to do his work. So, as we wrap up, I want us to go back to Genesis chapter 15. Because there's something else that happens in that story. God didn't just have him count stars and, and make that promise. God asked him to do something else. He said, okay, Abram, I'll make a covenant with you. And here's what I'd like you to do. Go get a heifer, a goat, a ram, a dove, and a young pigeon. Uh, by the way, all five of those animals become very key animals in the sacrifices that will follow hundreds of years later. But that hasn't happened yet. Instead, what's about to happen is a ritual that Abram knew that was common during that point in time. He took those large animals, he cut them in half, and laid them on two sides of a ditch. The blood would drain into the middle. The birds, they didn't split, they just broke their neck and, and left probably one bird on each side, so there'd be nice symmetry, nice balance. And, and the blood would flow into the middle. And in the covenant-making process, the two people who were making a covenant would walk between those animals. And it was sticky, ugly, it was messy. You would get blood on your feet. And what you were saying to each other, either by words or communicating with your actions, is that if I don't keep this covenant, may I be like one of these animals. And in fact, it actually goes a step further and what you're usually saying is that if I don't keep my end of the covenant, you may come back and deal with me as if I were one of these animals. And so he gets it laid out so that God and Abram can make this covenant. And then, as happens quite a bit, God lets Abram wait. Soak it in a little bit. Abram has to chase birds of prey away 
from the animals that he has left there. And then Abram, as it gets dark, he kind of falls into a deep sleep, a deep trance. And as he is in this trance-like state, he has another vision. And this time, he has a vision of a smoking fire pot and a flame that come down and pass between those animals. I don't know what Abram thought right at that moment. God probably helped him understand what was going on, but it's easy for us because we've got this whole book we know is that smoke is a symbol of God. When, when, when he would come down to meet with Moses in the tent of meeting, there would be smoke. When the tabernacle was first built, smoke filled the Holy of Holies. When the temple was built, smoke filled the Holy of Holies and filled the temple. And so smoke is a sign, a symbol of God. Fire, when, when God leads the Israelite people out of Egypt, he's a pillar of fire at night. Jesus is the light of the world. What's a fire? It's a light. This was God and Jesus making this covenant. Why? Because Abraham couldn't do it. Why? Because I can't do it. Why? Because you can't do it. We cannot make that promise and keep that promise. And so God and Jesus make that covenant, make that pledge, make that vow. And then what do we know happens? Jesus fulfills it. We don't keep our end of the bargain, and so he comes. And he dies in our place. He spills his blood in place of us having to spill our blood. And so this has been a pretty simple message. This message has been the message of the gospel. This has been the good news. God is pursuing us. And he comes down into this world to save us. He comes down here in our place. And so that's the message for today. Have you ever seen God at work? I bet you have. If you haven't, I challenge you to open your eyes with Scripture and look and see how God has impacted you in your life. Have you ever been afraid? It's okay. You're in good company. Lots of people have been afraid. And guess what? God used them to do His good work. And why did He use them? Because he loves them. And he wouldn't leave them in their place of fear. He came, he encouraged, he built up, and he saved. And so this is the good news, this is the gospel, this is the message of Jesus Christ. And I pray that you will hold that in your hearts today.